Good morning. Man, I'm nervous. I just got to tell you. Like, we, we did this before a few months ago, but I feel more nervous today. I feel like it's about to be game time or something. So uh, I'm really grateful to be with you, though. It was a lot easier to tell Brian and Micah six months ago that whenever they need to go to Columbia, I'd be happy to fill in. But it's a lot harder to follow up on that offer. Um, but I'm grateful to be with you uh, for the next three weeks. I'm preaching the first time I've ever really done a sermon series like this, but we're going to be preaching. I'm preaching on uh, swimming with Jonah, and we're going to spend the next three days, three Sundays, uh, going through uh, the book of Jonah and uh, understanding what it is that we have to learn uh, in an uh, in an appropriate season where we're getting ready for Thanksgiving and uh, for Christmas and for the grace, the gratitude, and the grief that is involved in all of those things. So um, I hope we do all right. We'll see how it goes. Uh, we're going to start today with the first chapter of Jonah. It doesn't say that in your bulletin, but we'll do chapter 1 today and chapter 2 next Sunday and then 3 and 4 on the last one. So if you'd like to join me, uh, here goes chapter 1 from Jonah. The, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord, Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, lain down, and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And Jonah said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not make it, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. And do not put innocent blood on us. For thou, O Lord, hast done as thou hast pleased. So the sailors picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. 
Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, great God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of these precious hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this is always one of those fun uh, stories to talk about because everyone learned it in Sunday school. I mean, it was one of the, like fastball, easy, go-to children's sermon or Sunday school lessons because it's, it's fun to talk about a whale swallowing somebody. All right. So as we dig deeper into the story, we learn that the whale is actually one verse of the entire chapter. Like we think about the whale, but if we look at this, it's literally just verse 17 of this chapter. The rest of the story has a whole lot more implications for how we got to that whale. And so today we're going to focus on what it's like before Jonah ends up being inside this whale. And then next week we'll talk more about what it's like to be inside a whale. As if I would know. But what we have here is Jonah, who we assume, everything we understand is Jonah is this righteous person, this great follower of God, who's no different really than maybe we imagine Noah as he's taken on his challenge to build an ark or any other prophet with what they're trying to take on. Jonah stands before God and is trying to figure out what it is he's supposed to do. And God knows about this place called Nineveh. Nineveh is the great city. It's the capital of the Assyrian Empire. It's also a place that's known for violence and for uh, desolation and for idolatry and for deception. And in the book of Nahum, we learn a lot more about this place and how horrible it can be. But it's like any other great city. It's full of commerce and full of people. And Jonah clearly has issues with this place. He knows this place as a righteous man, as a place that he doesn't want to be. And we also presume with the way that he talks and other historical aspects we have that whoever his people are have been harmed by the people of this city. Whatever it is that Jonah comes from when the sailors ask him, he also, we also can quickly understand that whatever it was that the Ninevites did to his people is not something he wants to have any part of. And we'll learn later on in the book that that's one of his hang-ups is that he's actually afraid God might be nice to these people. And he doesn't have any part to do with that. But for, day, for today, as we look at chapter 1, all we know is that God says, these people stand before me and I want you to make them cry out. I want you to make them weep for what they've done. And Jonah doesn't really give any response except for to turn and leave and run as fast as he can to Joppa to find his ship so that he can go down to Tarshish and flee from God. Which, let's be honest, that's just not a great strategy for any of us. I mean, I'm sure we've all had those moments when we were a child and we'd had enough of our parents' statements and we say, that's it! Mom and Dad, I'm leaving. I was seven years old. Seven years old, I don't even know what happened, but I remember deciding, this isn't for me anymore. And I went to my room and I got my best army camouflage pants and I put them on and I got my backpack 
And I filled it up with some cans of something. I don't remember what it was. I know I had some big league chew. Uh, and I had some uh, baseballs. And I don't know, stuffed animal. I'm pretty sure I had T.C. Cornelius, who was my favorite bunny rabbit. And I said, I'm warning you, I'm really going. I'm standing at the door. And I opened that door and I left. I made it all the way to the neighbor's tree. Because I was done. I was fleeing from this Nineveh. And that's as far as I made it. Because eventually I had to come back home because I realized that this was a terrible strategy. It takes Jonah a lot longer to figure that out. Running from God is just not something that works if God is something that we believe in and understand, then we know there really is no place that we can hide. So the truth is Jonah's not just running from God. Jonah's running from Jonah. Jonah's running from these people that he doesn't want to encounter. So it's too easy just to say Jonah's running from God. If he's a good prophet, he has to know that that's not something he's actually going to be able to escape. But we also know in this story that he might even be a little surprised by the way God shows back up. Jonah runs down to Joppa, down to Tarshish. He basically says, look, I'm a prophet and I'll follow you, but I've got my limitations. I've got the things that I'm not willing to do. You know, it's not that much different for most of us. I think those prayers start at some point when in our lives where there's a sports game going on and we start telling God, you know, if you could just get me a touchdown here, I'll stop doing that stuff I said I'd stop doing earlier. Or if things get a little more serious later in life when we have children, we start saying things to God like, you know, if you could just get my child through this right here, I really will start doing those things that you need me to do. Or we get the health scare and we say, you know, if, if you would just get me through this illness, if you would get me through this time, I really will start doing the things that I'm supposed to do to take care of myself. You know, when we do those things, we're not that much different than Jonah. When we're trying to be faithful and yet we still have that limitation, that condition that we put on what that means for God. Or, or maybe it's we say, God, I'll follow you, but I'm not, I can't follow you this. I just need you to know ahead of time that this is not something that I'm game for. And that seems to be what Jonah was like, was like, I'll do whatever you want, but I can't go there. I can tell you when I finished seminary, I, I had said I was retired from youth ministry, which is particularly hilarious now. Um, but I'd been a youth minister before I went to seminary, and I said, God, I'm done with that. I'm, I'm going to go on and be a real pastor now. And uh, so naturally God sent me into youth ministry after I finished seminary. And and what I said was, okay, okay, I'll do that. I'll, I'll go take this job. But I got two conditions, God. Number one, I don't want to deal with anyone dealing with their sexual orientation in the first year. Okay, I need a year to really understand myself where I deal with that. And the second thing is, I don't need to deal with anyone that's terminally ill child-wise in the first year. I'm not ready for that. Well, God gave me till Tuesday and till Wednesday of the first week. <laughs> on my job. So now I tell God, I am not going to Hawaii. I'm just not going to do that. <laughs> the truth is, we don't get to set the conditions of where it is that God calls us. Because I can be real honest with you, there's not a time three years ago that I thought God was going to say, hey, why don't you coach some soccer in Scottsboro, Alabama? <laughs> 
I mean, I coached basketball my whole life, and yet God has a way of swallowing us in incredible ways, in incredible ways. And sometimes God puts people in our lives we could least expect who are strangers to take care of us. And one thing that gets missed in this story is how wonderful these sailors are. I mean, this is a stranger that gets on a ship and the seas are going crazy and Jonah goes downstairs and goes to bed. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be like, let's just go ahead and throw him overboard. Like, not even because, like, God's calamity, but he's kind of not helping things here. And he's probably just going to be eating more food and all that. There, there's probably people that would be thinking that, but the sailors simply want to know why it is that he's asleep. And then the storm keeps getting worse, and finally the sailors seem, before even Jonah figures it out, to say, where are you from? What, what's going on? We need to know more of this story. And eventually what we find out is, that they know, and Jonah knows that he's the problem, that this storm is because of him. And at that point, you think they would throw him overboard. But what do they do? The first thing that they do is they say, how do we get to dry land? They're even sacrificing their own lives at this point. They're saying, how is it that we can get this stranger to safety so that he'll be okay and so that we'll be okay? And it's not until Jonah finally says, throw me overboard. I'm done. Throw me overboard, I'm done. And then the sailors finally relent. relent. And not only do they throw him overboard, but they pray, Dear God, we didn't want to do this. This is not who we are. This is not anything we wanted a part of. And I think all of us know times that that seems to be the sandwich that we get stuck in in life. And that's what we have to think about with Jonah here at this point. Not only does he not want to go to Nineveh, at this point he is so desperate not to go to Nineveh. He says, I would rather die. Because let's be very clear, there was no surviving being thrown over a ship in that time period. He hated going to Nineveh so badly, he would rather die than go there. What kind of pain is that? What kind of choice? We can lead to all kinds of imaginations. We don't fully know. But what we know is Jonah was so afraid of following God to that place that he'd rather be thrown overboard. Now, it's a little bit lighthearted to think about this with Nineveh, but I had a Nineveh in my first year in ministry. I had this couple that decided one Sunday night that they wanted me to come help her dad move into a nursing home. And they wanted me 30 minutes for a youth group to convince the entire youth group that this was going to be youth group that night, was to move her dad into a nursing home, which seems like a great thing, but we kind of need time to plan these things, right? So I say, naively, after trying to get out of it, okay, well, I'll see how many kids I can get to come. And so we have youth group that night, and I say, all right, boys, especially all you guys, everybody that can, let's go meet down at uh, this nursing home, and we're going to move in uh, Mr. Smithson, and we're going to take care of all this. And so at 8 o'clock that night, I showed up waiting for all the youth group, and I was the only person there. And the three or four pieces of furniture was the back of a moving van uh, to be moved in. And so I spent two hours that night when I wanted to be with my two- and five-year-old and uh, doing all those good things. And I spent all that time moving them in, and I said some things internally that were not very pastoral. (laughs) And after this was all over, the next day they come in Monday, and they're just very grateful that I helped with all this. And... They wanted me to come over and have black bean soup with them. 
Black bean soup. I don't even like black bean soup, although my wife's is pretty good and I've gotten used to it. But I don't even like black bean soup, and it wouldn't have mattered if it was my favorite meal in the world. The last place I wanted to go was to be with this couple for any longer than I already had been when they had kidnapped me to take care of all this moving stuff. And so for the next year, I spent the next year finding every reason I could to board a ship of an excuse to avoid having to go have black bean soup at their house. And sure enough, a year later, one day, I hear from my secretary, well, this couple has came, come by today and they've left you a brown paper bag on your desk. And I have no doubt in my mind what's in that brown paper bag. And the last thing I want to do is go into my office that is now Nineveh and eat it. We're going to come back to that story in just a second. What is it that causes us to run from things? I mean, what is it that causes us to be afraid of the anxieties of situations like that or far more serious situations like some that I've mentioned earlier? I mean, what is it that causes us to create in our minds these places that if God wants us to go there, it's still not going to work out? I mean, part of that's to protect us. Part of that's our own instincts of survival. But there's also something in that that lets us say, there's a part of me I can't let go and give to God. There's a part of me that just doesn't trust this process. It's our grief most of the time. It's, it's the things that hurt us even during the holiday seasons when everyone else celebrates and then there's these people that we miss. Or there's these times that we recall that used to be so wonderful and, and now maybe don't live up to expectations. And so one of the things we do in the holidays is we run around and keep ourselves busy. And it's also what we do a lot of times. Sometimes our busyness is a way to deal with avoiding the fact that we're not really running away from Nineveh, but that we're running away from the stuff that God needs us to deal with just like Jonah did. And all God wants in this whole story is for the Ninevites to cry out. And I think all God wants too is for Jonah to cry out and say, here I am, Lord. This is what hurts me. Help me. Be with me. And we see it now in our culture. We see it all over the place now. We see people who are just so angry. And we see people who are just so right here trying to find a way out of Nineveh. We see people who are finding all kinds of ways to run away from what's right in front of us, what God's calling us to do. And maybe if there's something that we learn from Jonah, it's that we can't run away from ourselves. And we can't run away, most importantly, from the person God's calling us to be, the place God's calling us to go. And many of us spend our whole lives running away from the same things. And it's never too late it's never too late to say, no, now, I hear you, Lord. Now I want to deal with this. Now I want to accompany the people who are dealing with their grief. Because if we're not the ones in grief, then we can be the sailors that are there to help the person wherever they are the best that we can. And hopefully that doesn't lead to throwing anyone overboard. Hopefully we can help paddle to get to the dry land as they sought to do. You know, one of the great joys we have in life is that it's the hard stuff that we usually remember the blessings and the joys in. Um, I, a couple years ago, got uh, where I had to accept a job in Tuscaloosa just to get by at Westlaw Middle School, and uh, it was hard. I had 31 fights in the first four months. 
Let me repeat that again. I had 31 fights in the first four months, either in my classroom or in the hallway or somewhere with my students on my team. And it was tough. And you had to really start deciding who you thought you were and who God thought you were to survive it. And one thing I learned, though, in all those fights, when things would die down, and especially every single time this was true with the boys, when two boys would fight, and I mean, we're talking 12-year-olds who are trying to kill each other. And we would get, thankfully, the good thing is, if it had been 15 to 18-year-olds, I don't know if I would have survived. But with 12-year-olds, I still could grab most of them, okay? And so I get them separated, and we get them all, and we get out in the hall, and the same thing happened every single time. The first thing it did when I said, what's going on, or you're safe now, or whatever word it was, was they just bawled. I'm not talking 90% of the time. Every single time they just cried. Because whatever it was going on in their lives, they all had different stories. There was some place that they didn't have where they could grieve, where they could cry out to God to say, I can't do this. I can't handle my sibling being up all night crying. I can't handle my parents working two jobs. I can't handle that I don't get to see my mom. I can't handle that I've got drugs in my family. I can't handle all this. And because I can't handle all this, I'm just going to take it out on the next person. If there's one thing I really believe, sadly, is I don't think many people in our society these days, and sometimes even us, are all that different from those little boys in my classroom. Maybe we're not throwing fists, but we throw words and we throw things instead of taking time to just stop and say, God, I don't want to run from me anymore. I want to deal with what's here instead of what needs to go out and the way that we speak. And here's the amazing news of this story. Like, Jonah's not the hero, right? Jonah, at this point in the story, he never has made a good decision yet. And God shows up anyway. I mean, God shows up anyway. I mean, this is not very American, right? I mean, the American story is all about if I work hard enough, it's all going to work out for me. The American story is these great, wonderful stories, and we love them, but the American story is not that George Washington messed everything up and then God just made the country. That's not the way the story works. But for God's story, we can royally mess up like Jonah. We can run from ourselves and from what God wants us to do. And we can be thrown overboard and we can almost be dead, drowning in the ocean. And God shows up anyway. And there's three more chapters, so we know God's not done with him yet. And sometimes you go to your office after this couple who's driven you crazy for a whole year, and you open up this bag, and you find out that you preached on To Kill a Mockingbird, your favorite book, and you open up the bag, and the book in it is signed by Harper Lee and says to Patrick Laney, best wishes in your ministry. I don't have that book in my room. It is my favorite possession that all my children know that they are supposed to grab in case of fire. But... <laughs> I don't have that book in my room because of how great a minister I am. I have that book in my room because of how amazing God is even when I fail to be the right kind of minister. And that's what we take with us from Jonah today is that no matter how much we mess up, 
God's got a big enough fish to bail us out. To God be the glory now and forever. Amen.